It's always wonderful to be uh, at this Hindu center in San Antonio. Uh, it's marvelous what you've done here. It's, uh, it takes a lot of devotion and a lot of working together. Uh, when we go to a place like this, we can see, we can feel the devotion of the members. So a lot of people have uh, uh, been very devoted for what, 23 years? 23 years. 23 years. So it's very wonderful what you have here. Thank you so much for allowing me uh, to associate with you. Uh, today we're going to talk about the perfection of devotional service. Um, and before I get into the verse, I'm going to read a verse from the uh, 12th chapter of the, of the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, but before that, um, I'd like to discuss a topic on identifying something about God. You see, there are many arguments as, as I travel the world. I hear different arguments about what God is, what he's not. You know, some people say, well, it's this way, and that's it. There is no other way. If we just use uh, intelligence, knowledge that we already have, doesn't even have to come from Scripture. We can, we can use our own intelligence. Uh, the Lord is uh, unlimited, isn't it? Some people tell me, well, no, 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 God is without form. He's unmanifest. Sanskrit, that's called the Brahmajyoti, Brahman realization. God is simply the universal energy. You see, uh, no form, just basically bright light, energy. And they're waiting for me to say, no, no, I disagree. And I say, well, I agree. I agree. And they think, well, I thought that you people from ISKCON worship this Krishna. And I say, well, let's think about it. God is unlimited. Unlimited means uh, wanting nothing, without nothing, having everything. All omniscient, all uh, powerful, all everything, you see. In other words, we can't place any limitations on the Supreme Lord whatsoever. So that means if this Lord is uh, unlimited, then he must have form. He must have personality. Otherwise, he would be limited. He must also be the man unmanifest. So both sides are right. Bhagavad Gita states that. Bhagavad Gita talks about the Brahman realization, being liberated into the impersonal Brahman. It also speaks of being liberated into uh, the planet with Krishna. Krishna Lok, Goloka Vrindavan, you see. So both are discussed. So we don't have the position that anybody's wrong if it's bona fide, it's right. You see, so I have many good uh, Christian friends and I can understand that they are exactly right. And they, they say to me when I first met them, they think, what do you think happens to, Christ, to uh, Christians at the end of their life? And I say, well, they go to Lord Jesus Christ. That's the destination, you see. We're trying to get to Krishna. What is the difference? Yeah. You see. So, uh, in this discussion in Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna, Krishna's friend, after hearing about 
liberation into the unmanifest, the uh, impersonal Brahman, the Brahman Jyoti, and hearing about liberation uh, and associating with Krishna, performing devotional service to Krishna. He wants to know, as any one of us would, if we had audience with Krishna, we'd have a lot of questions. You know, <laughs> Bhagavad Gita is a book of perfect questions and perfect answers. Perfect questions because they're posed by a pure, realized devotee, an associate of the Lord, Arjuna. And their questions are posed to the Supreme Lord himself, so the answers are perfect. And we can imagine if we had an opportunity to ask God, if we could just have him with us, and we'd have a lot of questions. Oh, wow, you're God. What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? You know, I mean, it would just start to flow, wouldn't it? Boy, I'm so glad to meet you. I've got a million questions. So Arjuna's like that. He's asking so many wonderful questions. And Krishna, being the supreme, is offering perfect, wonderful answers. So this is the nature of Bhagavad Gita. It is perfect questions, kind of questions we all have, we've always had, and perfect answers direct from the Supreme Lord. So Arjuna, being in this situation, having audience with Krishna, as his friend, his dear friend. He wants to know, my dear Lord, I've heard from you about this liberation into the impersonal Brahman, and I've heard from you about this liberation as your devotee. Please tell me, which do you consider is best? You're the Lord. I'm asking you, please tell me what is best for me. Uh, now, earlier in Bhagavad Gita, uh, Arjuna had spoken the words, Karpanya dosho bhattaswabhavahar. Uh, uh, he had wanted to know from Krishna, uh, please instruct me. I can't figure these things out myself. You see, Arjuna had become Krishna's disciple. Uh, sishya, that means I am now your disciple. Please instruct me. So Arjuna is continuing this uh, mood of hearing from Krishna. So he asked Krishna this question, and let's see, let's just follow this discourse between Arjuna and Krishna. So this is the, uh, the first verse of the twelfth chapter. I'll read the Sanskrit first, and then the English translation. Arjunuvacha evam satata yuttaye bhaktastvam paryupasate yechapi aksharam avyaktam tesham ke yoga vitamaha. Arjuna inquired, which are considered to be more perfect, those who are always properly engaged in your devotional service, or those who worship the impersonal Brahman, the unmanifest? Excellent question. If I had the chance, I would ask Krishna that myself. Krishna replies, Sri Bhagavan Uvacha Mayash Mayavishya Mano Yemam Nitya Yukta Upasate Sradaya Parayo Petas Teme Yuktat Mat the Supreme Personality of Godhead said, Those who fix their minds on my personal form 
and are always engaged in worshiping me with great transcendental faith are considered by me to be more perfect. You see, Krishna doesn't say it's my way or the highway. He says, I consider it to be more perfect. You see, it doesn't really stop there though. The conversation goes on a little bit. Krishna continues. Krishna continues, But those who fully worship the unmanifest, that, that which lies beyond the perception of the senses, the all-pervading, inconceivable, unchanging, fixed, and immovable, the impersonal conception of the absolute truth, by controlling the various senses and being equally disposed to everyone, such persons engaged in the welfare of all at last achieve me. Krishna says you can go that way or that way. He said, I consider it more perfect if you become my personal associate. But if you desire to go that way, the impersonal route, that is okay. If you decide to become my devotee, that is okay. It is your choice. You see? One more verse. Krishna continues. Klesho diktaras te sam avyaktasakta chetasam avyaktahi gatir dukam deva vadhir avapyate. Translation. For those whose minds are attached to the unmanifested, impersonal feature of the Supreme, advancement is very troublesome. To make progress in that discipline is always difficult for those who are embodied. So Krishna, he, the, word, the key word in this verse is klesho. Klesho means difficulty, trouble. Uh, klesho, a klesho is trouble. Great difficulties, you see. That road is troublesome. Uh, so Krishna is not, uh, and he never does, try to remove the free will that we, the living entities, uh, are granted by him. Krishna gives us free will. Now, why does he give us free will? By the way, this isn't a lecture. This is a discussion from here on out. Please stop, uh, uh, stop me with questions or comments anytime. Any question, any comment. Why does Krishna give us free will? What's the thinking about that? Because love isn't, isn't forced. Exactly. Because this relationship with Krishna is one of love. You see? Now, God is unlimited. God has unlimited names and he has unlimited manifest, uh, manifestations. We can't put any limit on them. But this Krishna is special in that this is the uh, form of the Lord, the supreme form of the Lord, 
in that this is the form that you worship for love, for loving exchange, you see. So, uh, no on reverence. Krishna doesn't like on reverence, you see. He will accept on reverential, but in the liberated stage in Krishna Lok and Goloka Vrindavan, there is no on reverence, you see. There's just love, the loving exchange between Krishna and all of the un and unlimited living entities there, you see. This Krishna Loka, uh, this type of uh, liberation is the one that we uh, follow or we pursue uh, if we want to have a personal loving exchange with Krishna. And when we, t when we get into the science and the description of the activities of Krishna and his loving associates, you see, we can get very deep in philosophy and think tremendously about this. There's no awe and reverence in Goloka Vrindavan. There's none. As a matter of fact, a question I like to ask people, do you think that in Goloka Vrindavan is Krishna God? What do you think? The answer is, he's always God. But the people of Goloka Vrindavan don't see him as God. They don't see him as God. They see him as Krishna. He's just wonderful. They love Krishna. You see? There's no concept of God in Goloka Vrindavan. You see? Isn't it like that? Now sometimes Krishna does some, some wonderful things and people start to think, this is like uh, when Krishna was on this earthly planet, just as an example, uh, as children sometimes do, Krishna was seen by one of his playmates when he was a young child. He was eating dirt. You know the story? Krishna is eating dirt. And so one of his playmates went up to his mother, Mother Yashoda, and said, Mother Yashoda, Krishna is eating dirt. So Mother Yashoda grabbed him and said, Come here. And she said, Did you eat dirt? Krishna said, No, but he had dirt all over his mouth. So she stuck her finger in his mouth, opened his mouth, to see if there was dirt. And when she looked in his mouth, she saw the entire cosmic manifestation. All of, she saw everything. All, the, all, the whole, all of the planets. And she became confused. I'm looking in my son's mouth and I'm seeing everything that can be seen. I don't understand. So Krishna used his yoga mind to confuse her because it's not a comfortable relationship with Krishna for us to think of him as God because then comes awe and reverence. As awe and reverence comes in, love has to shrink, you see. The more we have true, absolute love, there's no awe and reverence. We have love strong enough, there's no respect. True love replaces, awe and reverence replaces respect. You see, what we think of, of, of uh, as respect. Because, as I've said many times, true love, real love, has its privileges. You see? Now this name Krishna, uh, this is, uh, I understand, uh, I always like to tell people, 
because they want to know sometimes, why do you call uh, him Krishna? Well, God has unlimited names, but he has some special names that are special to him. When you say, when you vibrate that sound, Krishna, that's a warm and fuzzy sound, you see. And the instance that I give is, if you met the President of the United States, you would say, oh, good afternoon, Mr. President, you see. If you were a close friend, closer, maybe a member of Cong uh, Congress or something, you might say, good afternoon, Mr. Obama. If you're one of his friends from Chicago, you may say, good afternoon, Barack. But his wife doesn't call him Mr. President. She doesn't call him Mr. Obama. She probably has some sweet names, personal names, warm and fuzzy names, like honey, sweetheart, good morning, darling. She doesn't say, good morning, Mr. President. She doesn't call him by his title or Mr. Obama. And unless she's angry at him, she probably doesn't even call him Barack. <laughs> she has sweet names. So this name, Krishna, is one of those sweet names. It means all my beautiful, most beloved, most attractive one. It's a flattering name, you see. Krishna loves this name. It's an exchange of love just to say this name, Krishna. And of course, we can say it many different ways. You know, but we can say it, feeling love for Krishna. You see, so uh, this name Krishna is very special. Doesn't mean it's his only name, but it's special in the department of having a loving relationship. You see, now this loving relationship with Krishna can develop. To a point, and it should, it will, if we practice bhakti yoga, uh, buddhi yoga, the highest intelligence. Bhakti yoga means loving devotional service, which is what Krishna is recommending here as more perfect. You see, loving devotional service. Uh, if we, as we perform loving devotional service, this love will grow. When you love somebody dearly, you want to do something for them. Isn't it like that? You see, you're always wanting to show them that, uh, that you love them. You demonstrate. The father loves his family. He does such wonderful things for the family. You see, the children love the father. They buy him a gift on Father's Day and on his birthday, even though they're using the father's own money to do it. You see, so we're like that. Everything belongs to God. God is giving us so nicely. And we use some of that money, some of those resources that he gives us and it belongs to him to buy him something. Some nice flowers. Uh, build a nice, beautiful temple. Uh, isn't it like that? To buy ornaments for him. You see? So we're like a child using the father's money to buy something for the father. So this devotional service uh, is performed joyously, is performed loving. It's meant as an offering of love, you see. As the love grows for Krishna, we find our minds totally preoccupied by thinking of Krishna. 
And what can I do for you, my Lord? How may I serve you? You see? The devotee's thinking like that. How can I serve you? So his mind, after some time, becomes so occupied that this is all he's thinking of. He's thinking, serving Krishna. Now he may be doing this and doing that, working some uh, job, you see. But uh, the purpose of this work that he's doing is to serve Krishna. Now, last week we talked about, and I'll mention it again this week, just in case some of you weren't here. Was anybody not here last week? Yeah. There was a study that I read about. Um, uh, some people were doing research on uh, segments of America that were very wealthy, very successful. They were economists. They wanted to understand how is it that certain sections certain sectors of our population become so financially uh, successful. And as they analyzed, they noticed that the two that seemed to be consistently the most successful were the Jews and the Indians. And they thought, why is such a high percentage of both of these religious faiths, these sectors, uh, successful financially. And as they analyzed and dug into it and interviewed so many different people, the conclusion that they came up with is that when they perform their <coughs> occupational activity, it's considered by them to be part of their worship. In other words, when the Indians leave the mandir, when they leave the temple, when the Jews leave the synagogue, they don't shut it off. It goes with them to the office. They are considering, I'm doing my offering, my, I'm doing my work, as an offering to the Lord. You see, we talked about, in India, many times I've seen, uh, um, I think we've all seen people, when they're opening the wallets, when they're opening their shop, they'll do some puja, isn't it? They'll be doing puja, and have a picture of Krishna, Ganesh, they're doing nice puja, you see. So, they realize, this is, my dear Lord, I'm calling on you to please help me. I am your devotee. I'm dependent on you. You see, that's great knowledge to have and to carry with us, that we're dependent on the Lord. The gopis, the associates of Krishna, know that they're fully dependent on Krishna. They, have, they feel no independence. They feel completely surrendered and dependent on the Lord. You see. So we the living entities, as we grow in this feeling of uh, <clears throat> dependence on the Lord and this consciousness that my Lord, I'm dependent on you for everything. For my health, uh, for my any ability. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, I am the ability in man. Whatever ability you have, that is me. So we're dependent on you, my Lord. I'm desiring to serve you, but please give me some facility to serve you. So as the Lord gives us this uh, facility, uh, then we're building such beautiful temple, uh, clothing the deities in beautiful clothes and ornaments, uh, nice flowers, offering prasadam. You see, this is part of the, uh, uh, this is all worship. And therefore, uh, in all parts of our life. We're worshiping. The worship doesn't stop. You see? 
And that means we're conscious of Krishna at all times. Krishna conscious. So, uh, the name of our organization is the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Uh, we, uh, our mission is to promote everyone to be conscious of Krishna. You see? Now someone may say, but you know, I don't know if I want to get that close to God. I don't know if I want to get warm and fuzzy. I've had some people say, I don't, I'm not ready to go hug God's neck. You know, <laughs> I'd rather, I'd like for him to be here, but maybe in the next room, you know. So therefore, some people uh, seek out some uh, relationship with the impersonal Brahman, you see. They're not ready for devotional service. That's not necessary. I'm not saying that's bad, you see. They're not ready for this up-close-and-personal relationship with God, with Krishna, you see. So then that they may say, well, I would rather think of him as maybe some form, well, Narayan, that I can offer with great awe and reference from a distance, or maybe the impersonal Brahman, because if I deny him a personality, then I don't have to worry about him asking me to do something, <laughs> especially asking me to do something I don't want to do, you see. And that's okay. Krishna says, ultimately, you will attain me. But that road of uh, achieving that type of uh, liberation is very troublesome, very difficult. It takes um, total control of the senses, deep uh, meditation in a, in a world where it's hard to meditate. We're so troubled in this world with bills and uh, we're worried about the, the, the dollar crashing and the, you know, we're, we're running out of water in this part of Texas and we have some, how can we sit and meditate deep enough, long enough, controlling all of the senses to the point to where we can achieve this type of um, liberation into the impersonal Brahman. It's very troublesome, very difficult. It was difficult in prior ages. It was difficult 5,000 years ago. So it's even more difficult now. But Krishna does not take away your will to do that. Now, Prabhuji, when should I stop? you got about five, six moments. Okay. So uh, I can stop here and ask if there are any questions or comments. Criticisms? Yes, Prabhu? Are you talking about a path of bhakti? Yes. Bhakti uh -huh. yoga? Yeah. And uh, are you suggesting that the bliss that may ensue might be discomforting for some, that they're used to sort of having a more uh, distantly reverential, like God needs to be something foreboding or, you know, yeah. punishing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if he's punishing, then I may have some a different relationship with him. You see, because I'm not ready to go uh, and serve him. I really am looking to take care of me because I have these desires, and I want him to fulfill those desires. You see, give me this, give me that, whatever. You see, uh, on the path of bhakti, the devotee stops thinking of, uh, at some point of what I want. When the love blooms for Krishna, we're only asking, my dear Lord, what do you want? I care nothing about what I want. I just want to please you. You're so sweet. You're so beautiful, so wonderful. 
you say, I want to do something for you. Uh, as a matter of fact, the bhakta, the uh, bhakti yogi, even forgets about uh, liberation. He says, I have no use for it. Whatever you give me, Krishna, but first of all, I want you. You see, I want you. I never want to forget you. You see, you're so wonderful. The thought of not having you in my mind would be painful. You see, even for a second. Uh, Radharani, uh, the associate of Krishna, she's the feminine energy of Krishna. That's another thing. God is unlimited. Is he male or female? He's both. He's unlimited. There's Radha and Krishna. Radha curses her eyelids. Because sometimes I have to blink and for that split second I, I'm not seeing Krishna. You see. He is so beautiful. He's so attractive. You see. So the devotee, uh, he thinks, my dear Lord, please do with me as you will. Use me as your instrument. Do with me as you will. If liberation comes, that is okay. If I must stay in this material world, that is okay. Please just don't let me forget you. That's my only uh, request. Please allow me to serve you. Please allow me to make you happy. The desire of the bhakti yogi is to make Krishna smile. And if we think about it, what if we had the presence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and we behaved in such a way that he smiled? Big, warm, loving smile. Wonderful feeling, you see. So we should aspire at all points of our life to make Krishna smile, just to see God smile, you see. So, any more questions? Comments? That was very good. Anything else? So, I think uh, uh, there's Janmashtami coming up. When is your John Mustami celebration? 